Again, my name is uh, Clayton, and I'm one of the pastors, as you saw on the wonderful, wonderful video that our children and families um, made today. Uh, so glad that all of you are here with us in person and online. Um, uh, you may have seen my son, Clark, had his eyes closed the whole time. Uh, normally, when we go to Target, uh, he does not have his eyes closed. In fact, they're wide open, because usually we go, as like probably all of us go, to get like two things that we need that we don't have, and he, which is very far away from the toy section, and he always seems to find his way back to the toy section. And so uh, we've been, my wife and I have been struggling with this, and so, because he seems to w want all of the things, he says. And so we have started doing chores around the house with him and giving him an allowance. And so to help instill this understanding that, you know, things aren't free, things cost money, and how to use money. And as we were talking about this, my wife and I, and as we were talking with him about that, I began to reflect on when I was younger and, and would do the same, my parents did the same thing. And we would do chores around the house, and, and I would get an allowance. But one of the things my mom um, said was we will give you an allowance, but the, uh, the, you have to give a portion of that back to the church. So as like a six or seven-year-old, that is not what I wanted to hear. Because I had specific ideas already in mind of what I was going to use my allowance for. I was going to get toys or video games or whatever the thing was that I wanted. But as I got older, I started working my first job. I worked as a dishwasher at a restaurant in my hometown. Um, and... I had this understanding already instilled. So when I would get a paycheck, I would give a portion of that back to the church. So as a seven-year-old, I wasn't real excited about that. But as I continued to get older, it instilled this idea. My mom often said something like this, that, that when we give back a portion, that indicates our devotion and our worship and our praise to God. We're giving God our firsts. And I think we live in a culture today uh, that sometimes says the opposite, that we earn what we earn, and it's not God's, but it's ours. And on top of that, what uh, Pastor James talked about last week, we just don't really like to talk about money generally. It's a subject, you know, we kind of often keep to ourselves. Sometimes we find it maybe a bit invasive to talk about, and yet it's something we deal with every day. Many of us walk into a Target, have to get an item or two or whatever the thing might be. So the question today is how do we as followers of Jesus reframe our understanding of giving to be one of abundant joy and overflowing generosity as we continue to give God our worship and our praise daily? I think these two ideas, we often try to separate them, but they're connected. How we give over with overflowing generosity, and how we worship and praise God. In the passage that we just heard read from Pastor James, we hear this story from 2 Corinthians. And Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, but as we talked about last week, he is also talking about the Macedonian church as an example of how to give out of overflowing generosity. And he talks about how they are living beyond their means. They're giving in a way that's sacrificing, and they're giving above and beyond. So as we reflect on how does giving God, our worship and praise, relate to giving beyond our means? That's kind of the question I want us to continue to reflect on this morning. 
And so we're going to be in the book of Matthew if you've brought your Bibles with you. If you haven't, great, you can get a pew Bible, or if you're online, you can um, get your Bible. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26 today. And I want to look back at the scripture that was read to see what this has to teach us, not only about worship and praise, but how this is connected to giving. So again, we're in uh, verse 6 of Matthew chapter 26. It says this, Now while Jesus was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. So first notice that Jesus is in Bethany. And last week's story, we heard a story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus in their home, and Jesus was at Bethany. So he's in the same town. He may have been visiting Mary, Martha, and Lazarus and went to go see um, this Simon uh, person. We don't know, but I think it's important to note that he, again, is in the same town of Bethany. And we don't know a lot about Simon the leper, but we can make an assumption that he at one time probably had leprosy, where he got his name from, Um, but he has since been healed of that leprosy. Either way, Jesus is at Simon's home, and a woman, who her name is not given, pours an expensive jar over Jesus's whole body. And what's interesting about this story is that we see this in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. However, in this account, uh, in the account in John, uh, the person who pours is actually named. And it's Mary, and it's actually when Jesus is at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' home in the same town of Bethany. In fact, according to the Gospel of John, this story happened again, not in Simon's house, but in Mary and Martha's home. And the point here is that it's it's an important moment in the life of of the disciples, that each of the gospel writers thought to include this same story of a woman, whether it be Mary or some other woman, who anoints Jesus' whole body with this ointment. It also says the oil would have cost a year's wages, which is important um, because we can notice how the disciples react to this moment. They say, but when the disciples saw it, they were angry and said, why this waste? For this ointment could have been sold for a large sum and the money given to the poor. The disciples were not just in shock that someone would be pouring all of this on Jesus, but notice it says the disciples were angry. They say, why the waste? Why the waste? The disciples only saw this as a poor use of money. However, for this woman, she saw this as something else. So when someone would die, uh, they would prepare their body for burial by anointing them with oil. And so some scholars think that this woman in this story understands, unlike the disciples, what is about to happen. That Jesus very soon is going, going to go to the cross and is going to die, and his body is going to need to be anointed with oil. Again, this is something Jesus said again and again and again. And like many of the other stories in the Gospels, we see that the disciples were a little confused. They didn't quite understand what was about to happen. And it's out of this understanding that she desires to show her love and devotion for Jesus by anointing his whole body with oil, so expensive that it would have cost a year's wages, a huge sacrifice. And I think it's important to note 
Because only in the book of Matthew do we see later, in two chapters later, 28 verse 1, that the women, like in the other gospel stories, go to the tomb to see Jesus. But in the Matthew story, it mentions nothing of anointing his body for burial because Matthew makes the assumption that in this moment, that's what this woman was doing for Jesus, was already anointing his body for burial. And so then the story concludes with this. It says, But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. By pouring this ointment on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this good news is proclaimed, in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. So Jesus here, once again, is correcting the disciples. While the disciples are angry, Jesus tells them that she has done a good thing. He says a good service. And this word, good service, translates as a beautiful, beautiful thing. Again, this shows that this is not something to be angry about, but this is something to be celebrated. In fact, this, this use of the word good service elsewhere in Scripture is used into care for the poor. So Jesus makes this connection that she's not neglecting the poor, but in caring and showing devotion and praise, she is taking care of Jesus who is for the poor and oppressed and the marginalized. Then we see in verse 13, the writer here connects this to the very end of, of the book of Matthew. And some may know this as the Great Commission, Matthew 28:19. There's a wonderful children's song that maybe we could sing next month that I'm not going to sing right now about the Great Commission, but it goes like this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you till the end of the age. And in verse 13, in the scripture we heard read just a moment ago, it says, Truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. And it's in this this moment that Jesus is saying, this is bigger than just the 12 of us. This is something that we are going to take into the whole world. And it's an important statement here that Jesus says, For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And some have used this statement as a way to put one's focus either on the poor or on Jesus. We create this dichotomy of either or. But, but what I think Jesus is trying to do here is create this balance. That it's not just about caring for the poor and it's not just about you know, having these large expenses and, and doing those types of things. But it's how do we do both And, again, Jesus is creating this balancing act. And for Jesus, the disciples' uh, focus was only on the anger of believing that this woman was wasting money when she was acknowledging in that moment that Jesus was going to die soon. And she was showing the sacrificial love in the form of using something that cost a year's wages. Jesus never says neglect the poor only that there's going to come a time when he will go to the cross. It's about giving of one's worship and praise by acknowledging the saving work that is found only in Jesus and caring for the poor and the marginalized. Said another way, we should be giving worship and praise to Jesus, and the work that we do for the poor is an outpouring of that love 
and devotion of Jesus. So, how does this connect to giving? Like the disciples uh, struggled in this story, you and I can also struggle. We think of giving in, in a certain way. But Paul calls the Corinthian church, and he calls us, that we are to give uh, joyously. And not only joyously, but out of abundance. And I imagine that what the woman in this story did through the anointing of Jesus was difficult, because it would, again, would have cost a year's wages. But Jesus calls us to love, devotion, worship, and praise. And this is not within our own kind of comfort zone. But Jesus continues at times to make us uncomfortable, to, as Paul says, to live beyond our means. And I think the disciples may have been expecting um, Jesus to kind of be more on, the, on their side when they get upset, when they get angry, and say, yeah, that is wrong. You should have sold that and given that to the poor. But he doesn't do that. Jesus, his whole message is constantly taking care of the poor. But it shocks, he shocks the disciples by reprimanding them in that moment. In a similar way, Jesus continues to make us uncomfortable and at times, I think, surprises us. We as disciples of Jesus, like the original 12, there's a struggle for us at times to get angry. You know, when my parents started giving me an allowance and, and I was allowed to have it except for the fact that I had to give a portion of that back, you know, not fully understanding that in the same way with Clark. Maybe for us, money is, is tight and that makes giving out of generosity more difficult. Maybe for some of us here, we've been overwhelmed and we've been in this pandemic for almost two years. Or maybe for you, it's something in between. But as we talked about earlier, money is, is something that we, we try to evade, we try to scoot around, and, and it's difficult to talk about. But the point is that Jesus calls us to be uncomfortable, live beyond our means. And secondly, Jesus calls us to love and devotion and worship and praise. And it's out of this love and praise that we recognize the need for action, that Jesus calls us to something, to give out of generosity, out of an overflowing generosity. And this looks different for each and every one of us, but the call is the same. Out of our love and praise for Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, we are transformed, and in turn, we are called to go and live a life of abundant joy and overflowing generosity. So what does this actually look like? Uh, I was reminded uh, this week when Caitlin and I first started dating, um, her father is also a United Methodist pastor, and so we were visiting them. We went back for a service at the church he was at in southern Ohio, and they had a young adult who was leading worship, and she'd been leading worship with them for years, and um, she didn't have the means to buy a really—she would play acoustic guitar and sing, and she didn't have the means to buy a really nice acoustic guitar. The one she was playing with was actually one she had gotten, um, someone had bought for her from Walmart. And so it wasn't uh, the best, maybe it didn't sound the best. And so what they did, kind of surprisingly like the video of Pastor James and I, which we did not know was going to happen, uh, is my father-in-law started to raise some money to buy her a nice guitar. So she reached out to church members and, and different people. And no one gave an exorbitant amount, but we had a community of people, they had a community of people come together and each give what they were able to. 
And on this particular Sunday, which we didn't know what was going to happen, is they presented her with this Taylor acoustic guitar. And for those of you who know um, guitars, that's a really, really, really nice um, acoustic guitar. And so out of their overflowing generosity, out of their abundance, the church, the community that praises, that has devotion towards Jesus, was able to give this young adult this amazing gift for her to continue to lead them in worship. And even as she moved on and, and doesn't go to that church anymore, but goes, you know, lives somewhere else, is able to continue this wonderful gift that she has. And in the same way, as that is the story of overflowing generosity, of extravagant giving, we see this woman in this story give extravagantly. And Jesus says that, that uh, the church, the people, we will remember everything that she's done will be told in remembrance of her. Generous giving is about first giving our praise to Jesus. But through this, we live sacrificially, sacrificially for Christ. And it's through this attitude of love and devotion for Jesus that we can truly make the name of Jesus known in every place. So, Kingswood Church, if we are to love God, to serve others, and to build sacred community, then Jesus is calling us to get, at times, a little uncomfortable. And is calling us out of, to, to love and devotion and praise, to continue the work of Jesus, so that we can live with abundant joy and overflowing generosity. Amen.